0: Hey everyone, it's Ariel Hawani. And I'm Chuck Mindanao And I'm P.T. Carroll. And together we are 3Pack. Join us on the brand new Spotify Live app immediately after all of the biggest fights in combat sports. And also during the weigh-ins because that's when the real drama happens.
1: So what are you waiting for?
2: Follow the Ring MMA show right now
3: on our exclusive Spotify podcast feed.
1: And come join the best community in MMA. Peace!
3: We're out of here.
0: NFL Preview Show. My name is Danny Heifetz. I am joined by Stephen Ruiz and Ben Solak, and we're coming to you every Friday to preview the weekend's NFL games. First up, we have the game plan where Solak and Stephen break down the biggest game of the week and then cosplay as the coaching staffs for each team. Ben Solak is going to be Miami Dolphins head coach Mike McDaniel, and honestly, Solak kind of looks like if Mike McDaniel had like less facial hair and just took less edibles.
3: But Mike McDaniel does... The same thing I would do if I were on a headset with a bunch of professional football coaches and players, which is make really dumb jokes in the middle of games. All these clips of him just being like, hey, like, George is the best SEC team. Oh, whoops, I didn't know Tua was on this channel. Like, that's Ben Solak humor 101 right there.
2: Ben is like Mike McDaniel if the 49ers didn't get a comp pick for losing him. (laughs)
0: Well, that was pretty good. All right, Stephen, you're Bill's head coach, Sean McDermott. And I think you also, you and Sean McDermott are the only two people I know that just have never smiled while watching a football game.
3: That's right. No, I was smiling
2: on Sunday night, baby.
3: Unfamiliar with Bill Belichick. Danny Hyphens over here. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's a good point. No, Bill Grins. Bill Grins wants the opposing team's kicker misses their second consecutive forty plus yard field goal to keep the score like seven to four. Then he's like, ah yeah, we've done it. This is what we want.
2: Like when he pulls off one of those weird substitution, like loophole rules, that's when he grins. Yeah.
0: Twenty years of watching Belichick, the only time I can ever remember him smiling during a game was the tw- was the, the scene ghost game with Sam Darnold. And it was at the end of the game because they did one of those like the penalty with like They did the delay of game, punt, whatever. Vrabel did him in the playoffs, and he just wasted a minute at a game. They were up 30 points, and he was like, nice.
3: (laughs) Hell hell yeah. Uh, Love it. Other than that. All right.
0: Game of the week. So Dolphins are at the Bills. This game's on Saturday, which the NFL, like, legally can't have games on Saturday until college football's over. So now they're just like, all right, cool. We're going to have the majority of the week. We're going to have games. The Saturday, like, the I don't even know if it's prime time, but it's Saturday night, and the last time the Bills and Dolphins played was week three. It was in Miami. Miami won relatedly. It was like 120 degrees on the field and the players all killed over afterward. And then this game is in Buffalo and instead of 120, it's going to be like 20 something degrees. So (laughs) it might snow. I can't think of two games that have ever been more different. And all the Dolphins players and coaches are kind of acting like Elsa from Frozen with like the cold never bothered me anyway. And like Mike McDaniel's wearing this like shirt with the we want it colder. Steven, I'm just wondering like, If you're like looking at this from the perspective of the Bills coaching staff, are you like, you know what? I think the Dolphins are kind of soft. I actually kind of want to like game plan around like the weather in some way. Or is it like, is this a completely overblown storyline and like the weather is
2: like completely overrated? Uh, I don't think it's overrated, especially with a quarterback that I think would be affected by the weather just because he's a smaller quarterback and we've seen him take a hit and that kind of throw his game into. Chaos. So I I do think it matters because getting hit hurts in the cold, playing in the cold sucks. And it's hard to play in the cold when you're a high flying offense that throws the ball downfield and you require timing and you require quickness and and sharp cuts and all that that we see from Jalen Waddell and Tyree Kill. So I I do think it matters. I think it has to affect your game plan somewhat. But I I also agree with Mike McDaniel saying, like, what are we going to do about it? I feel like if he harps on it all week long, it's going to get into the heads of the players. And the, is that good? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I, I don't know. I, I think it's being overblown. And I think his reaction to the questions about it is definitely being overblown, especially by people in Buffalo, who for some reason are very prideful of the fact that it's cold where they live. It's like part of their identity. Yeah. I don't understand it.
3: Not from the Northeast. You don't get it. Uh, it It's definitely a big deal. There's There's a few separate factors right whenever we talk about bad weather games there's cold there's wind and there's precipitation and the ways that those can affect things are different <laughs>
0: precipitation you just call it snow yeah.
3: well so like snow but just but like in general man. like rain and snow can have similar effects in terms of like you know whenever we get into the quarterback hand size discussion come draft time a lot of it is can they grip the ball in just like wet conditions right with precipitation so sorry i'm, I'm flexing my third grade science vocabulary over here <laughs> uh the cold, right? Two has played, I think, in one game so far in his in his career below uh, 40 degrees, and he was totally fine, right? So the cold, you can, like, be okay. But the issue with with, with cold later into the season is the, the, the way that hits accumulate and the way that hits feel, right? When we talked about this Dolphins offense, like, way, way, way back when they beat the Bills in Miami, when they beat Baltimore, one of the questions we had was, all right, this is, like, a really quick twitch, smaller offense. They don't have a lot of big bodies, right? Mike Gasicki's big. He hasn't had a catch in three games. It's Tyreek Hill, Trent Shurfield, and Jalen Waddell that make this, this passing game work. Those are small guys. It it sucks to be hit over the course of an NFL season. It sucks more when you're a smaller, thinner player. It sucks more, more, more when you've been hit for a long time. It's week 15 and now you're playing in 20 degree weather when you're not used to it. Right. So there's the hits and and the contact they're gonna make with the ground as well, right? The when you it's getting hit by players and also getting smacked into cold ground that, that can be really, really damaging and, and wear on you over the course of four quarters. Then there's the wind Uh, gusts right now look like it's going to be like 15 to 20 miles per hour. Uh, And that matters for a quarterback like Tua who struggles with deep accuracy, right? Tua doesn't really have a drive ball once he gets more than 15, 20 yards down the field, right? He has to start putting an arc on the ball to get those longer throws to the hash and then those balls downfield where he already struggles for accuracy. Allen can rip it through that wind. Tua can't as much. And so it's going to even greater, uh, you know, uh, introduce randomness and introduce him inaccuracy into Tua's throws down the field. Last but not least, then your your precipitation, and that's where just the accumulation of snow might matter. Sorry, snow. Um,
0: I just have never heard like someone use precipitation other than a weatherman in a sentence.
3: Yeah, no. well, I I could have been a good weatherman. I got I would get a, wear a little bow tie and point at the thing. Uh, the uh, it's going to start snowing in Buffalo potentially like Friday evening, and it'll certainly be snowing throughout the day on Sun on Saturday. So you might get like an accumulation of precipitation on the on the on the field that's got to get handled, but and you, then it'll call it snow. The game. No. And then that makes it harder to like take sharp cuts, which will affect both teams. But again, like it affects Miami a lot because of how they play in space, because of the way they ask their quick twitch athletes to kind of just like break angles and whatnot. So it it's as bad of weather as Miami could have dreaded coming in and expecting this week 15 game, this critical game against Buffalo. Uh,
2: on top of what you said about like the receivers being smaller, where do the Dolphins throw their passes over the middle of the field? Where- in the hit area. Yeah, in the the hit area. And like we've seen Tua throw his receivers into a lot of hits mm-hmm. during the season. So I don't know if those guys those guys might get a case of alligator arms. We kind of saw it in the, the Charters game actually. Obviously that yeah. had nothing to do with the weather, but if he's throwing them into hits and into traffic and they take a big one and it's cold and it's freezing and it hurts like hell in the second quarter, the third quarter, and the fourth quarter, are they gonna wanna sell out for those balls? Well, all right, on that note, so obviously Dolphins they've played poorly
0: the last two weeks. They played terribly. Mm-hmm. Tua has played terribly the worst two games of his entire season. I mean, you know, I don't have to go through all the numbers, but I think the most illustrative ones are just, he has a completion percentage under 50% last two weeks. And I think most importantly, Dolphins, literally the worst team on third down over the last two weeks. They're three of 18 on third down the last two games. And you guys predicted like before that 49ers game two weeks ago, Dolphins live in the middle of the field with their passing offense. 49ers defense lives on letting no one there. It, it's not crazy that the, between the injuries the Dolphins had on offense that they just were kind of crushed by the 49ers defense. But then this week, or last week, I guess, against the Chargers, the Chargers defense kind of made the Dolphins look even worse than the 49ers did. And the, the two almost looked more helpless against the Chargers, who aren't supposed to be keeping teams just out of the middle. And so, Stephen, you've been on this all season. You wrote about this this week. You both have. But Stephen, like, wh- I'm a little confused here. I know you guys have talked about this on the Sunday show, but is it just that simple? Like, oh, so just take the middle of the field away and two a combust? Like, what has been happening the last couple of weeks?
2: No, there's like a difference between the strategy, which is take a, take away the middle of the field and the tactics you use to do that. And I and for the 49ers, it was different from what the Chargers did. The 49ers, they didn't really deviate from their their typical approach, at least coverage-wise, after the snap, it was it was like quarters and cover two. Staley said that after the game, that like their plan was nothing like theirs. The Chargers beat them by just out game planning them and outworking them. They were just more physical. They were physical at the line of scrimmage in a way that we haven't ever seen a defense play this this particular offense, and I think that had that caused issues for the Dolphins and Tua specifically because it forced him to move or hold onto the ball, buy time in the pocket go past his first read. He couldn't be that, that point-and-click passer that we've been talking about. He couldn't get rid of those passes in 1.5 seconds. He had to hold it for over two seconds. And when he's had to do that this year, that's when we've seen some of his issues show up. That's when we've seen the questionable pocket presence. That's when we've seen the questionable arm strength, when he has to throw from a, a platform that isn't clean. I think the Chargers did a good job of also communicating. And that's why I think it, I don't, I don't necessarily know if there's a book out on the Dolphins offense right now because the 49ers beat them with talent. They had great linebackers. They had a great pass rush. That's why they were able to take away the middle of the field. The Chargers beat them just by out game planning them and having an answer for every single formation, every single motion, every play you saw the Chargers front seven communicating, changing the play based on after the, the Chargers would shift. That was on early downs and they played a lot of man coverage, played tight to, to routes. On late downs, they switched it up. They showed pressure. They they pressed at the line of scrimmage, and they backed off into soft zone. And I think that really played with, to his mind because he was so used to on early downs, oh, I got to beat this tight man coverage. On late downs, oh, it looks like they're playing man coverage, but all of a sudden they they drop back into zone. And then when I get used to that, they they play, they play pressed up, and then they still play man coverage. So he couldn't get a beat on it, and he couldn't get comfortable. And you could see that. You could see the, coverage, the post-snap coverage rotations really give him problems. You saw him throwing to, to – covered guys. Chris Collinsworth noted. He was like, this is what is happening. The chargers are just sticking tight to routes. Like, how is this happening? It was happening because they were taking away those initial reads, but there were other guys open downfield Tua just wasn't throwing to him. He just kept throwing into it downfield those windows. and
3: shallow. Yeah. yeah.
2: Especially shallow. And he just kept throwing into those windows, those non-existent windows. Cause those were the throws that he had been hitting all season. And then that's why people like me and Solak have been questioning how much processing is this guy really doing? When you throw the ball in 1.5 seconds, are you really doing post-snap processing or are you doing your work pre-snap? And when the picture changes post-snap, are you able to adjust? So far through two weeks, well, I won't say, I wouldn't apply that to the 49ers game. But in the Chargers game, the answer was clearly no.
0: Coming into this game, if you're talking about like communication and changing plays and stuff, that sounds like something you need a veteran secondary or veteran defense to do. But it sounds like the Bills are probably one of the teams that you could replicate that. So I don't know. I mean, so like, do you think that when you look at this game, do you look at this as a game where it's like Tua needs to adjust, the Bills defense needs to do what the Chargers did, or like Mike McDaniel needs to fix something? Like what happens coming to this game? Because the Dolphins right. season's kind of at a pretty important inflection point if they want to make the if they want to get a wild card.
3: Excellent question. I would say 33% of all of the above. You know, like it's 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 there's so many moving parts right now with with the Dolphins. Like when we came into that Niners and Chargers games, I think, you know, like those of us two are detractors, myself, Steve, and others were like, all right, the Dolphins can like you know, they can probably take a little bit of a, a wind out of the Dolphins' sails. I don't think anybody expected this much of a just immediate drop-off. Like, like to a, like, cray turd. The Dolphins' offense just fell to pieces over the course of the last two weeks. So there's a lot to calibrate to. Like, the degree to which there is a blueprint or isn't a blueprint is, like, highly questionable because uh, D'Amico did different stuff than Brandon Staley did. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of mess going on. What I think is true is the, the first point you brought up, Danny. This bill is secondary uh, when fully healthy was like the best communicating secondary, the best zone spacing. We're, we know where our routes are. We understand like whenever you talk about zone coverage, it's always best to imagine that all the players in zone coverage, the linebackers, safety's corners, they're all tied together on a string. There's just a rope connecting all of them. So when one guy moves a little bit this way, everybody else has got to go with them, right? There's that that, that connection, that chemistry. And the Bills were so good at that. And then they started to get injuries, right? Uh, you, you had Michael Hyde go down, Jordan Poyer go down. They had to get young guys in there. Christian Benford and Kyrielum are fighting for the outside spot. Xavier Rhodes gets introduced, and over the, over the course of the season, their secondary hasn't been as good. They've had some more mistakes. You know, Tre'Davious White gets reintroduced, but recently, yeah, it's starting to look like we're used to it looking like right. The, the the communication for the new players who've been introduced has kind of started to level out to the point where I think if you were Sean McDermott and defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier, you look at that Chargers film and go. We have a lot of these same calls. We've got, you know, quarter, quarter, half. We've got, you know, cover two Tampa two man, right? Like we have the ability to call some of this stuff. Yeah. You know, we we, yeah. we feel like we're going to be able to communicate well enough to take this all away. way. Uh, the other thing that you feel great about is the fact that a lot of the, the press coverage that we've talked about on, on this pod, it's not like it doesn't solve the whole problem for you, but it's a big part of, like Stephen said, disrupting the timing, making sure that ball doesn't come out on the timing throws in one and a half seconds. And the press coverage that's been done well has been done by, like, DeAmador, Lenore, and Michael Davis. Like, it's not like the press coverage was like, all right, they saw Jalen Ramsey and then Stephon Gilmore. Like, it's, it's, it's just getting a hand on the body. Like, It doesn't even have to be perfect.
0: And just to reiterate on the press man, basically, no one's wanted to play press man against, the, like, the, when Tyree kills with the Chiefs, because mm-hmm. basically, it's like you try to hand fight with him up top, like, right at the line of scrimmage. But if the, he ever beats you on that, then you're in a foot race with Tyree Kill. so no one wants to do that.
2: And so when it's Mahomes, it's like, he's going to buy the time for him to get downfield. Yeah, you So know, it's either field.
0: like man coverage, but give him a cushion of 10 yards or something, or like just play zone because no one wants yeah. to be in a race.
3: But So uh, uh, Tej of Pro Football Focus had, had a tweet about this that was good, where he basically identified that like in terms of like, PFF's coverage charting, uh, the, the amount of, of press coverage that, that Tua has seen over the last two weeks has gone up like almost 50 percent, and his efficacy has gone down. Uh, and like you said, the, the the idea behind press coverage is, oh, man, if we try to press Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle, they're going to burn us. We can't do this. Right. Defensive coordinator, conventional wisdom in the NFL is very uh, let's figure out what the perfect game plan is. And then if we can just execute the perfect game plan, we're going to win for four quarters. And so defensive coordinators kept saying, all right, well, there's no way, you know, press coverage is, is, is the solution. If, if we do it that way, Tyreek's going to burn us. Waddle's going to burn us. We're not, we're not good enough to stop. These receivers are so good off the line. Let's play zone. Let's play zone. Let's play it so well and do such a good job spacing out our zone coverage and, and, and our drops and our, our spacing all oh, would be amazing. And then we'll win. And then for, Ten weeks, the Dolphins just punked out on everybody. They just dunked on. Like it was just so hard to play zone coverage. Firstly, like you know, you had to get more film. You have to like see what what are the common route concepts, right? Like defenses have really gotten wise to the play, capital T, capital P. The Dolphins have this one play that they run like incessantly. That's hard to cover in zones. They flood the zones. Well, D'Amico caught up to it. Staley caught to it. Now there's a little bit more of a blueprint out there. But in general, like you just couldn't stop them in zone. You couldn't be good enough. Tuo was too good. McDaniel's too good. The receivers were too good. So now you go back to the drawing board and you say, okay. We were afraid of press coverage because we were worried about getting burned. But man, we've been getting burned doing everything. We've been getting burned in two high zone, single high zone quarters. Cover two. They burn us in all of it. So we might as well press. We might as well see if we can generate a, a, a win by by pushing at the line of scrimmage, by disrupting time and getting a sack, getting them behind the sticks. And you've seen that been really successful with like not top press corners, which I think is an important thing for the Bills. Christian Benford coming out into this game, like always, oh, gonna get matched up with Waddle, matched up with Hill. Is that a weak point? not necessarily other teams have gotten away with it so i think you're going to see a successful defensive outing from buffalo the adjustments that miami might make uh and the mcdaniel side of things is to find ways to run more outbreaking routes if you're going to dedicate so many resources taking away the middle of the field then you're going to be weak to the boundary and we need to thro- find outbreaking routes which they have had previously that two is willing to throw because they tried to throw some outbreaking stuff against the chargers but it was downfield And Tua was already, at that time, uncomfortable in the pocket. His internal clock was super sped up. He was worried about being hit, and he wasn't willing to trigger on it. It was too far downfield. It was too tightly contested. So easier access stuff to the sideline. And then for Tua, Tua has to learn how to check the football down. And that goes back to Steven's post-snap processing point. If you're really processing post-snap, then you should see a covered in-breaking route and go, I'm going to throw to the back behind the line of scrimmage. I'm going to let the back do the job for me. You have to make that decision. If defenses are going to spend so many resources, they wait intermediate middle of the field, Throw the ball somewhere else, particularly throw to your check down and let, let the speed on your team work for you.
0: Part of me wants to take the Dolphins, though, in this game solely because I, I Mina Mina keeps making the, the half joke that the team actually unprepared for the cold in Buffalo is the Buffalo Bills, and they should just build a dome stadium and they'll win a Super Bowl as soon as they build a dome. And I don't believe that. But part of me is like, if the Bills lose this game, I'm going to start to believe that they're actually not that well built for the cold. I know you've been talking about that. So, like, so but I'm still going with the Bills. Steven, who are, you, are you taking Bills or Dolphins in this game?
2: I'm going to take the Bills. I I don't know if the, the Bills have are willing to do the things that the Chargers did, but like Solak said, I think they can replicate it to the point where the talent will fill in the rest of the gaps, the talent the Chargers didn't have. I think they, like I wrote this in the preview, I think they have the pieces to get the best of both worlds from what the 49ers did and what the uh, what the Chargers did and find like a middle ground there. And I think it's going to take some time. For the dolphins to adjust because i don't yeah. think it's just on mcdaniels to find answers it's on his quarterback to become a different style of quarterback and we've seen this before when a system that is propping up a average to above average quarterback when the system gets figured out the quarterback has a hard time adjusting and that makes his coach have a hard time adjusting so i think it's going to take more than one week for that adjustment to be made so i think that i think the offensive struggles continue and the bills win
3: yeah it's the bills are favored by about seven and a half points. And I think one thing that shouldn't go understated in this game is that the Bills lost to the Dolphins in week three was extremely frustrating for that team. They held the ball so long. They were much better for most of the game. They, they had, had no a half dozen t- players keel over and have, like, yeah. heat right. illness. 40, right. minute,
2: had, 40 minutes of time, time of possession for the Dolphins.
3: Yeah. Like, uh, 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 they had 40 minutes, uh, and they did, and they didn't lose the turnover battle. And, like, in NFL history, like, you do that you win the game like it's impossible to lose those games but they found a way and they had an opportunity to win a late and couldn't cash it in that plus the way the weather affected them when they were in miami folded into the weather they expect to get now i agree that buffalo is not as well built for the cold as they should be they like should be better at running the football josh allen throws really hurt to catch in the cold if he throws 100 miles an hour so there's 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 aspects of them that's not great for the cold but they have more experience doing it and they also like steven said like they buy into the Buffalo of it all, right? Buffalo loves the fact that they're cold and they have snow and the Bills act that way as a team. Uh, And I think that you're going to see an impassioned and and emphatic performance in Buffalo who has an opportunity to seal up a playoff berth with a win. Lest we forget, like Buffalo's like plus 99% chance to win the playoffs, plus 99% chance to win the division, whatever. It's not done yet. And they can do it by beating the Dolphins. I think Buffalo's going to come out extremely hot in this game.
2: And we saw what the Bills... Did last week when they had adverse weather conditions, they were like, let's just run this huge human we have at quarterback and the Dolphins don't have that option. Yeah. Also, it hurts to tackle in the cold, too. And Josh Allen probably hurts to tackle no matter what the weather is. It's
0: it's so true. Especially for teams that like don't have a ton in it anymore. You can just literally see defenders kind of sizing up. Do I want to do this or not? And uh, not with like playoff teams, but still. All right. So we're all on the Bills. That's like a certain date in my mind that the Dolphins are just going to win this game and the Bills will be the team that's actually affected by the cold weather. So you should probably bet on the Dolphins. Looking to get more out of the NFL this season? Well, now is the perfect time to download FanDuel America's number one sportsbook because new customers getting no sweat. First bet up to $1,000. That's free bets back. If your first bet doesn't win, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. And then you can bet on everything from the money line to touchdown scores to over, under, yards, Giants playing Washington this week. Spoiler, they're going to lose. Just bet on Washington. Super easy. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game. Harley, Just bet the unders. All the Giants. Super easy. FanDuel is also now live in Maryland. Marylanders, make sure you get in on the action also with great offers. boost just for you. So don't miss the chance. Get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in free bets when you join FanDuel with the promo code Ringer NFL. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. 21 plus in select states. First online real money wager only. Refund issues, non-withdrawal, but free bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Go 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee or Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT-STEP to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777. Or visit ccpg.org/chat Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana or 1-800-522-4700 or visit KSGamlyHelp.com in Kansas. one 877 777 OSTOP, stop in Louisiana. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. one 877 8 hope and wire text hope and wire to 467-369 New York. 1-800-522-4700 wyoming or visit www.1800gamer.net in west virginia
3: this episode is brought to you by state farm there's no better feeling than a personal win and the state farm personal price plan can help you do just that talk to a state farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan like a good neighbor state farm is there prices are based on rating plans that vary by state coverage options are selected by the customer availability amount of discounts and savings and eligibility vary by state
1: my mind and now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the hotels.com app whether you're looking for a family-friendly right all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices ratings and amenities side by side so start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the hotels.com app
0: monday morning headlines and or memes some good games speaking of the chargers chargers are at the Titans this week. Both teams are seven and six. Both teams like should make the playoffs. Titans, were tr- re- like probably trending down the Chargers kind of trending up. Steven, who do you think wins Chargers Titans? What is the headline and or meme on Monday morning?
2: I, I think the chargers win. I'm probably foolish for buying into this team again. Every time I do it, I look like an idiot. And then the headline is I, I was, I was going back and forth between which nickname to do the pun on for Brandon Staley. But I, I, the soy boy, soy boy strikes back. He beats the manly coach. Soy boy, <laughs> he beats the manly back. coach at his own game. Because this is what I'll say: like on paper, this seems like a terrible matchup for the the Chargers, right? Terrible run defense, soft run defense, going to get up against maybe the most intimidating running back in the NFL. In I thought, you
0: know, I just still think of the coaches: you're at Mike Vrabel, Alpha, Brandon Staley. Right. Not an alpha. I won't say it beta boy. but boy, soy boy, yeah, soy beta, boy. yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. But uh, the Titans' offensive line is terrible. (laughs) It's a terrible offensive line. So, like, that's usually when the Chargers get bullied is by good offensive lines and when they have to worry about the passing game and the receivers on the outside. Like, against Cleveland, they had to worry about Amari Cooper. They had a hard time covering Amari Cooper, which made it harder to allocate resources to the run game. There's no such constraint with the Titans. You could just throw it all at at the offensive line and not have to worry. And I really think that Staley, I hope... That he learns from this past week, and he, he makes more customized game plans for the, the team that he's facing. Because I don't think he's done that necessarily every each and every week, but I think this is an opportunity where he can really get creative with his run fits and his, his run defense. Because you're not worried about the passing game, you're not worried about the offensive line. This should be a game where scheme matters.
0: I was going to say, are the Titans, I mean, the Chargers beat the Dolphins, and then you're going to Tennessee, and it's like, are these like two of the most opposite teams in the entire league? It's like you're going from Tyreek Hill and Waddle in Miami, and then Tennessee's got like, you know, it, we'll see if Traylon Burks is healthy enough to play, but like, you know, Robert Woods and Nick Westbrook-Akina, and they got like Okonkwo tight end. But it's like, like this team, they don't, I mean, the receivers, have think, combined have less receiving yards in the season than A.J. Brown does for Philly.
2: I feel oh, so Bears. bad for Westbrook, uh, Akini, because like, he's the guy that everyone names when you're like the Titans, yeah, it's the so receiver receiving yeah. course
3: stinks. We got to transition to Cody Hollister. We're going to get move, move <laughs> the target, get it on someone else. Um, I think what's really interesting about this Chargers Titans game is the stylistic aspect of the fight is so very evident on when the Titans hold the football, right? The Chargers are just this defense that allows you to run the football all over them. The Titans, that's what they want to be on offense. It's important to note that at this stage in the season, the same is true when the Chargers hold the football. Uh, Hayden Winks of Underdog Football put it out this week in his matchup previews. The Chargers are first in neutral pass rate. Right, all they do is drop back because they cannot run the football, and Justin Herbert has to save them all the time. That uh, offenses facing the Titans this season are first in neutral pass rate because you don't want to run at this defensive line, which is still a little bit banged up. They're hoping to get Nico Oltrey back, uh, but then the uh, the secondary is pick audible especially with the injuries that they've had so far in, in the back seven. No David Long, who's on IR for this game, super important. And yeah, Stephen just just threw up the little uh, the, the the little pinch hand together. They're a small secondary. This is a huge Mike Williams day, and Mike Williams is back. And when, as Steven noted last week, when Mike Williams and Keenan Allen are healthy, this passing offense works. It works at the highest level. It works at levels equal to what Kansas City and Mahomes have done this season. Uh, and so, yeah, like the Titans can... If they, you know, the physicality works and the offensive line plays well enough, surely they can run it for 200 plus yards in the Chargers. Yeah, like, I, I don't think it'll happen, but yeah, like why not? Justin Herbert might throw for 400, and, yeah. and they might just yeah. walk down the field throwing the football. And now it becomes a, okay, well, what do we trust in the modern NFL? A team that can run it at will or a team that can throw it at will? And typically over time, the team that can throw it at will is the one that wins out. Uh, and so... This feels I agree with Steven. It feels very weird to be back in the Chargers in this game. It feels so much like a Chargers let down spot. 55% chance to make the playoffs, just beat the Dolphins, a little bit healthy, like, oh, let's not fall for the bait again. But I think it's real this time. I think the Chargers actually might win two games in a row.
0: <laughs> no, I completely agree. If if there is actually any kind of Chargers turnaround coming, like, not just the season, but to the franchise and just the loseriness of this team ending. This is the kind of game they have to win against the Titans specifically. This is, I, I think that's really on, on par. The Jaguars did it. You can do it. <laughs> this should be their, like, Rosie the Riveter moderate. All right. Lions are at the Jets. It's kind of like both, they're both two teams on the outside of their wild card race. The Lions are six and seven, Jets are seven and six. This is also the Ringer NFL Twitter game of the week, so the Ringer NFL Twitter account will be live tweeting, so you can follow it along there. This The Lions. This is a five x game. I believe the Lions' playoff chances are five times higher if they win this game than if they lose. And the Jets just need to win for the playoff race. So, Solak, who do you think wins, Lions? Jets? What's the headline on Monday morning? And or I know.
3: really, really, really wanted to do win, uh, win and in because if the Seahawks lose to the Forty Nine ers, which is expected tonight on Thursday, uh, then the Lions winning this game puts them in a spot where they have three more games all against teams with losing records and functionally puts them in the NFC wildcard race. The problem is you can really only get it to 99% at this particular week. You can't actually get it to be fully officially win and in. It's like anywhere from 97 to 99% because of like scheduling conflicts and whatever, but I think it's fine for my headline where Lions beat the Jets and are now win and in. If they win out for the next the, the three following weeks against the card uh against the Panthers, home against the Bears and then against the Packers, uh they're 10 and 7 and they're almost certainly in the NFC wildcard picture. When they if and when they enter the NFC wildcard picture, like firstly, as we all know, in the playoffs, like just throw everything out the window. It's not about like, how'd you get here? It's about, okay, who's healthy and who's playing well. And by DVOA, Lions are playing better than a lot of the teams in the NFC playoff picture, right? So so much about this is, can you get over this Jets hump and can you get into the uh, into the playoff picture and then kind of restart the season in January? Uh, the game against the Jets is a little bit tough on paper. Jets can run the ball really well, even with the running back injuries they've had. Lions remain weak there defensively. Uh, the, the Lions' biggest issue is covering deep passes down the field. Should have Jeffrey Okuda back for this game, but it's still been an issue for them this season, especially with the Tracy Walker injury. And Mike White has shown the ability to push the ball intermediate and deep with success. However, the Jets have got major, major injuries. The, the Mike White, who... It sounds dumb to say Mike White's the most important player on the Jets offense, but if he doesn't play, Zach Wilson plays, so he's kind of the most important player on the Jets offense. And then defensively, Quinn and Williams potentially out for this game. And Quinn is, again, like, you know, Sauce Gardner's up there, absolutely. But Quinn arguably the most important player for this Jets defense. Uh, I think you're going to see run-heavy script from both teams. They're not going to want to put their quarterbacks, White or Zach Wilson, in a position to be uh, against these pass rushes. Jets are so good. Lines have been improving. You're going to see the team start to run the clock out, try to control the football. And I think the lines are better suited for that, especially if Quinnen doesn't play uh, because when you, when this Jets team gets beat, they get beat because they are always no matter what, no matter how many tight ends you put on the field, a four down front, they are a one gap, Robert solid defense and the Lions have shown over the course of the season that they can, they can rip those defenses up pretty much besides Dallas. They've had a lot of success running against those teams. Big Jamal Williams game. Big Detroit Lions victory. Get me the Lions in the playoff.
2: Yeah, I think it comes down to whether Quinnen plays or not. I think the Jets, if Quinnen plays, I think the Jets have a chance at shutting down, not just like beating the Lions offense, but shutting down the the Lions offense and putting Jared Goff in situations he doesn't want to be in. And we've seen them play, I don't want to say teams that take like a similar approach because this offense is not working nearly as well. But when they've played the Patriots this season and the Patriots have wanted to kind of go under center and, and run these old school concepts, the Jets just blitz the hell out of him. and so I think it's like a game plan game also. Whichever mm. offense, if whichever coordinator on that side of the ball has the upper hand game plan wise, I think will give his team a big advantage. So yeah. Ben Johnson or, or uh, Robert Sala, I, I think that's a big deal if they yeah. can like hit him on like play actions when when the Jets are attacking the line aggressively. I, I think Jared Goff could have a big game like he had against the Vikings and continue this little hot streak they're on. But if he, they could put him in in those situations that we talked about last week where he's Bleep in his pants, I think we might see a return to, of old Jared Goff.
3: Yeah, it's uh, it's important to remember that Robert Sala, the Jets' head coach, knows Jared Goff from the time in which Sala was in San Francisco and Goff was with uh, the Rams. Sala has historically been pretty good against uh, uh against J- Jared Goff when they first started. When like Goff's offense, like in like 2017, when the Niners' defense was getting good and like McVay's offense was taking over bad numbers once things kind of settled down right and like the McVay offense kind of right everybody figured out what was working out here and they started to figure out where Goff's pressure points were Sala had a lot of success generating pressure on Jared Goff making him throw interceptions making him take sacks Sala knows this man he knows his character he knows his spirit he knows his fiber like it, it like you gotta pressure him right it's that's why like the Lions running game is so important and and I, we've lost a little bit of visibility on the Lions running game because golf's been so good throwing the football. Amon Ross Brown is healthy. Jameson Williams is back. Like they've been they've been a great passing team. They traded TJ a away. So now they go heavy personnel a little bit less. But the first thing this offense did to start the snowball rolling down the mountain was figure out how to run the ball well behind this offensive line, under center, and then get into their play action pass. That's the sort of formula they need in this game. And and they really haven't needed it in the last several weeks, right? Uh, Connor Allen of 444 Football shared this this week, which is uh, a big note. Uh, since the bye, Lions passed defenses faced by DVOA. They had Dallas and only scored six points. They are first in DVOA. But then after that, it was Miami, which is 22nd. Green Bay, which was eighth. Chicago, 31st. Jet, uh, Giants, 26th. Buffalo, seventh. Jacksonville, 30th. Minnesota, 27th. Big part of the reason why Golf's look so much better throwing the football is because Lions ain't played nobody. In terms of, 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 of passing defense. So uh, it, it, it is absolutely unequivocally a Jamal Williams game. And if Quinnen plays and it's tough to, to run the football, yeah, I see it. But at the same time, like, if Zach Wilson plays, don't worry about it. We're it, it does, yeah, it doesn't matter. We'll get the short fields. We're all right, baby. Don't worry about it.
2: Someone <laughs> also posted Jared Goff's splits in cold weather games because it's supposed to be a little chilly. And yes. And they were really ugly. I don't remember what the numbers were, but they were really this
0: bad. That's why I'm such Small a believer hands. in this to a degree. On one hand, it's like, yeah, you look at a team and you're like, all oh, these guys aren't from here and it's like blah, blah, blah the weather and it's overrated. And like a formative football memory of mine was like when the Giants played that Packers in the championship game was negative 20 and all the offensive linemen came out with no sleeves on just to, like, I I love that. But the flip side is like, I'm also a believer with like golf or like Tua. Tua is from Hawaii, went to college in Alabama and never played a college game north of like Tennessee. And it's had like three games. He's never played under like, three games under 45 degree weather. And I'm just like, I just, I don't know, man. I think that kind of makes you a little soft. I think it's the same for golf. I do think golf's a little soft. I'm just saying, California makes you soft. It doesn't even rain.
3: Here's the question. Here's the question, Danny. Ringer moves you out to LA next year, right? Because you got, you got, you, you know, they want you to work in the building. You end up having just like a, an Adonis of a son raise him up in California. He's six foot four. He's got an incredible arm. He can run. He can move. Goes to quarterback camps, dominates natural accuracy, natural leader. Comes time for him to be recruited by colleges. Everybody comes, right? Alabama comes, Clemson comes, Georgia comes, Ohio State. Everybody wants young Heifetz. Are you ensuring that he goes to a school with some bad weather so as to solve this problem for NFL teams? Is that part of your recruiting process for your son?
0: No, it'll look great in the warm weather. And when he gets to the NFL and it's so we're, such we're in the cold the weather, it's fine.
3: So yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, go, we go to the best spot, for the first overall pick, and then you figure out how you play in the snow once you get there. i sent him to Wisconsin.
2: In college, he's not getting paid. So you go to the, the tropical locations, the, the good weather. In the NFL, yeah, it, I'm in 30-degree weather, but my son's also making $30 million a year. So who cares?
3: Tua said this week, because uh, he was being asked about the snow, he gave a quote he's like, well, also snowed in Alabama. No, it didn't. Like maybe I, once, I was going to say,
0: like, he that doesn't know what doesn't that, that, can, not like, I, that's not. Yeah. You saw snow once. It's not like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I have a
3: shovel.
2: Because you can saying, identify like, what it is. Does not mean it's snow. Yeah. Now. No. You saw precipitation.
0: You didn't Did yeah, not see yeah, snow. mix. I'm just saying like I, I, I grew up in the Northeast. I moved to Los Angeles. I was one of those guys that could go out like, you know, in the cold. Like, I didn't need a jacket. I came back. I was such a bitch when I came back from like six months to Los Angeles. First of all, three months I lived there, it didn't rain one time. It started, water started falling from the sky. I was like, why is someone of their sprinklers on? I didn't even realize it was raining. I was so confused. Like, I'm just, it makes you soft and like, I'm just saying, can't convince me it doesn't. All right. With that said, now that I've just slandered Jared Goff. And the entire West Coast. And I, well, I, I, my experience, California, it made me soft and I kind of think, great weather makes you a little soft. It's true. All right, next game here. <laughs> Giants are playing the commanders. Glad I, I can embarrass myself again here. Giants are playing the commanders. They're both 7 5 and 1. I want to just say, like off the top, this is kind of being pitched as a playoff game. It's not exactly that. It's like win and in, probably, because the winner is probably going to have like a 90% chance to make it. But the loser isn't quite out, like as much as it really depends a lot. We're recording this Thursday afternoon. The Thursday night football game has like a huge impact because if the Niners beat Seattle. The loser of Giants, Washington kind of still has like a coin flip chance to make the playoffs, which is kind of crazy. But if Seattle beats the 49ers, the loser of Giants, Washington, their playoff odds drop to like one in three or less than that, which isn't good. That's still not awful. So I do just want to say that, like, it's much more like the winner is like probably definitely going to make the playoffs more so than like the losers. No chance. Having said that, I kind of think Washington's going to like just run all over the Giants and I'm just going to run back my head. I kind of think that the the headline is like, like it's either like NFC beast or like NFC's least and it's like Giants, you know, haven't won in a month. We're also just that meme of like the winner. It's like that guy on the gold medal stand, like, you know, he's like chewing on and celebrating so much and like losing his mind. And then you zoom out. And he's like eighth place. And that's kind of like how I think about that's this game one. of like, oh, my God. Yeah. It's like they're just fighting to not be last in their division. But I could go on and on. I'm an irrational Giants fan. But that game they played a couple weeks ago. Man, I, the Giants should have won because they made dumb yeah. mistakes. But big picture. Washington ran all over the Giants. And I think at the core of this game, neither of these teams can pass block. Like they straight up, Washington nor the Giants can pass block. The only way they can really pass is like play action and stuff. The difference is the Giants can't really block, run block the Washington defense, but the Washington offense can like move the Giants linemen. And like Washington was getting pushed. Like the Giants, when they try to run the ball, the linemen were getting moved backward. And the Washington linemen, when they try to move the ball, are moving forward. And, like, I, like Washington's offense got 15 first downs on second down in that game, which I thought was kind of illustrated everything. So Washington's got two weeks to prepare. And yeah, the is a big I I, it's, it's a huge deal. Like, they got a week to prepare for the Giants. They tie, and they got two more weeks to, to just prep again. And I'm like, so much of what the Giants do in offense is, I don't know. I don't want to call it gimmicky, but it's not too far from gimmicky. So is there any reason I should be optimistic here as a Giants fan? Like, I'm, I'm pretty nervous.
3: Last time I tried to give hyphens like a reason to do a thing on a Giants game, the Eagles scored forty-eight points against the Giants. <laughs> that was so. just
0: you were being. I I, I I was so mad at you <laughs> in that game. You're like, oh, I don't
2: know, yeah, 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 yeah. and it's like oh, the Eagles it's are not are, like the Eagles are always.
3: That was a particularly impressive Eagles game. It's not like they do that on a weekly um, basis.
2: He's always questioning whether the Eagles are going to win. He's doing it this week too. He's like, Justin Fields could run on the their team, and they're not. They no, can't no, no, tackle no, no, no,
3: no. That wasn't. <laughs> I think the Eagles definitely beat the the Bears. Uh, that I was, was a prop thinking. <laughs> I was thinking of how no matter what happens as a result of the Eagles Bears game, I win and Steven loses because Steven's anti Hurts and anti Fields right now in like the quarterback rankings discourse conversation. I'm not even
2: anti Hurts.
3: Yes, you are. Yes, per all the Eagles stands that I follow. Let's, let's circle
0: back to that at the end. I want to talk about the MVP stuff in Hurts.
3: At the Regardless, moment. the like watching that Giants Washington game back, I very much agree with you where. The Giants should have won that game. If the Giants handled business, you know, got a couple more coin flips, you win in regulation and you can win in overtime. And a big part of that was Daniel Jones' rushing ability. Something that Washington has struggled to do this year is stop mobile quarterbacks. So you watch that through and then you go, OK, well, like, yeah, like the Giants are a really weak offensive line and they had a tough performance against the Eagles, bad performance against Washington two weeks ago, Montez Sweat's coming back to town. Chase Young is still like kind of a general question mark as to whether or not he's healthy and going to play. And it's kind of been a mess. But like the entire Washington pass rush is, is viable. Maybe the Giants can do this again, where like Daniel Jones is just they play 11 on 11 and they do the option stuff and it's going to be fine. And then you realize Washington hasn't played anybody since the Giants. And they spent two weeks thinking about how they're going to win this interdivision game in which the the winner pretty much has a has a comfortable walk in NFC playoffs. You're like, oh, shoot, maybe that one ace in the hole for the Giants all season. Right. The Giants are seven and five and one hugely on the back of using Daniel Jones as a runner. Maybe like Washington's going to be a little bit better prepared for it this time. So it's tricky. I, uh, I do think that the Giants running game matchup when they get to play at 11-11 and get Jones involved is what they need to continue to lean on to beat Washington. I'm just not sure they're going to have as much meat on that bone as they did two weeks ago. Uh, so I, th- I think it's still a Washington win. Um, But like Brian Dable continues to be really good at at kind of making chicken salad. And I don't think that should be discounted going into a must win game.
2: Yeah, I think it could be discounted just because they played the Eagles. But I don't think you can outcoach the Eagles because they just have so much talent. What's the opposite of a trap game, by the way? Because I feel like that's what the Giants played by because they played Washington and then you play the best team in the, the division. Yeah, and then you right. go back to playing Washington. <laughs> and not only did you—they uh, you, they probably got like, up for that Philly game and then got their asses yeah. kicked, which is probably a big letdown. And now I think they have Bill to would call this- kitchen sink. It's just, right. this is, the, this is everything. The problem is that it's well, they, no, they, this, to this the is the Giants. kitchen
3: sink game. It's that Eagles game last week was the opposite of a trap game where it's not like you're playing a really good team and then a really bad team. And then a really good team. They played Washington and the Eagles. It's like, all right, well, yeah. it's kind of, it's like, it's That's like junior varsity saying. week. It's like, they just like, you know, they just like, all right, like we know we're going to get absolutely trounced by the varsity team here. Let's just, you know, go pay attention to, to, to next week's performance. <laughs>
0: That's a good point. I will say, I I think, yeah, it's half the Giants offense a third of the offense is Saquon. A third is Daniel Jones just running, and the other third is just Daniel Jones rolling out and just throwing to a tight end in the flat. And like, I don't think they have a fourth play other than just hoping Darius Slayton catches on <laughs> downfield. Like, I actually, yeah. I, I was so convinced I looked it up. So, yeah, Daniel Jones doesn't actually lead the NFL in rollouts because I thought he would, but he is. I found it. I think he's like thirty-nine of like forty-five or Who something. Leads the NFL rollouts? Rollout. Mariota, Gino Smith, and Mariota's, like right there. Gino is like, a, a lot of. I want to ro- guess rollouts. Gino.
2: Walter, they're running the McVay offense.
3: I know, but yeah. I feel like I feel like they they let Gino be in the pocket so much. They just do so, so
2: much. I feel yeah. like pe- teams aren't rolling out like they
3: they have
2: been in the past years.
0: Well, it's year. just the Giants. It's yeah. like Daniel Jones when he rolls out and throws to a tight end is twenty of twenty one on the season, and I kind of am worried that one of those is going to get jumped. Like it, the Washingtons had two weeks to figure out how to pick one of those off. I'm a little concerned, but I I will mm-hmm. say if Daniel Jones wants a contract extension, if they if Daniel Jones wants to be like committed to as the quarterback for the Giants this is the game and I'm not even saying that's fair I'm just saying that's like kind of reality like if he can put the team on his back and like get them a win it's the kind of thing that'll convince everyone because I kind of think they're going to end up moving on but if he wants to keep the job I think that this is the kind of thing where he just has to like overcome the fact that his offensive line is totally overpowered by the defense and he's playing with Isaiah Hodgins there you go. He's the Nick Westbrook-Akini of the Giants. It's like Isaiah Hodgins. Hey, Isaiah Hodgins is the starting receiver.
3: Put some respect Giants. on Isaiah Hodgins' name. I don't know. Who's so your know. Uh, who's your favorite Giants player taking snaps this week? Is it Ellerson Smith? Well, Tony, Tony Jefferson? Who's who's the I mean, who's the most I, the interesting entire, new player?
0: The entire... I mean, it's the entire secondary. It's like... was it? Jason Pinnock? Who's like... I, yeah.
3: was a, who's not half bad? The, I, J, Pinnock's film was not I know, bad but it's you. like I,
0: Fabian Moreau went from a like what a veteran journeyman that they one signed year three the million dollar contract, to, yeah, to like literally, I think, a top five most important player on the team in like a month.
2: Yeah,
0: and then now it's like the practice squad guys that were just rotating in are now like essential starters that I don't know what the Giants do. And when Jason Pinnock gets hurt or like Nick McLeod, all these like random dudes are now like, I don't even know who replaces them when they get hurt on the field. The and they're all banged n-
3: up too. The Giants have nine defensive backs who've taken at least a hundred snaps this year. That's down and, horrendous, but brother. Like,
0: <laughs> only one of them has pedigree. It's a Dory Jackson signs a fridge. like the other eight, or all like Cordell Flott or whatever. The other eight are all like sixth rounders and back. It's like, it's just fair parts McKinney? of tape. You know what
2: it is. You know what it is. Well, he
0: broke his hand atv on the bye week. <laughs> Wink, <laughs> Mart- so mad
2: at Wink Martindale mad. is cursed. He's cursed by cornerbacks. Right? He's, the last two years, he's had to deal with this. And my theory well, is, he's spent his whole career putting cornerbacks on an island and making their job as, as hard as possible. And now the cornerback gods have- I'm
0: putting
3: him on an island.
0: Yeah, Well, it's not just a thing. Can I ask you a question? Because I- so many Kyle Shanahan running backs get injured that I've, I've started to wonder, like, is there something about, like, he creates so much, like, the system's so good, and he creates so much space where the running backs are running so fast at the defense that they get hurt more? And that's completely unprovable and, like, probably wrong, but it just, what else could it be? that I wonder, does Wake Martindale, like, forcing his cornerbacks to do more, just put them at more of a risk or what?
3: I don't know. Sure, like sure. Let's just run yeah. with it. It's completely don't, don't, unprovable. Don't think about it. Wrong. Don't think about yeah. it. Well, so, well, the problem yes. is, I'm thinking about it relative to Xavier McKinney broke his hand ATVing on the Pi Week, and I'm having no. no the real answer in is the Giants to. have
0: turf field, it and it that was they Wink's idea like, to go
2: on the trip. to <laughs> ATV Wink trip. was
3: on the other ATV. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: Just no, with his the sunglasses and his
3: hat, like 95 feet up on his forehead for some reason. What's he hiding under that hat? What's under that hat? I want to see the top of Week Martindale's head, and I want to see it now.
2: That's where all his sound defensive coverages are <laughs> under his hat. <laughs> <laughs> all
3: right,
0: next game here: Falcons at the Saints. This is disgusting. Um, it, I mean, I rarely, I don't think we talk about a five and eighteen versus a four nineteen very much, but like, this is crucial for the division. If the Falcons win this game and then the Panthers win and the Bucks lose, there will be a three-way tie at six and eight at the top of the NFC South, which is horrifying. And even that is just it's I, this is just a disgusting game. But Marcus Mariota got shadow benched and I guess kind of ghosted them to spend more time with his kid. I don't know. So Desmond Ritter is the quarterback now for the Falcons. So like you love Desmond Ritter, the third rounder out of Cincinnati yes. in the pre So like are you just irrationally thrilled for this game?
3: I am. My first headline thought was Ritter Me This, which is like, riddle me this, but it's Ritter Me This, and it's because... No, we Des- get it. We get Des- it. I'm Des- glad Ritter. you explained it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to make sure it was clear. My second thought was, Desmond Ritter uh, spends time with kids because he beats the Saints, and then he's spending what? time with his kids. Similar to how Marcus Mariota has left the Falcons facility Boo! to go spend time with his children. <laughs> Do I just not get it? That Marcus... It's terrible. I, that's, there's nothing to get. Marcus Mariota... Who's been Spaced placed on time. IR and has been benched is not at the team facility. He's not coming yeah. in to work. One yeah. of the, the obviously like he's like upset that he's been benched. Another thing that's happened in Marcus Mariota's life is he's recently, I believe, had a daughter. Memory serves. Congratulations to the Mariotas. So Falcons fans are like, all right, Mariota just like left to go hang out with his newborn. You kind of respect it a little bit. Like season's basically done. You got benched for the third round rookie. Yeah, just hang out with the family. Don't show up to work. Quit. Leave. Walk out. It's it's got some nice like you know, <laughs> you know, post-capitalism anti-work sentiment that I do appreciate. Um, but I, I do like the idea of like a very salty Atlanta newspaper being like, Desmond Ritter spends time with children. And it shows Desmond Ritter beating the Saints. The Falcons are about five-point dogs in this game. And understandably so. Uh, the Falcons are generally a mess. However, the offense isn't really going to change too much with Ritter in from Mariota. They're going to involve the quarterback and the running game a little bit less, but they're still going to be super run heavy on, on early downs, right? Like sometimes you think, okay, like, a rookie quarterback comes in, they're going to run the ball a lot more. They already were leading the league in neutral down run rates. They're going to keep doing that. They lead the league in play action drop back. They're going to keep doing that. And then critically, Mariota had like a high average depth of target, but had terrible accuracy throwing down the field. All Ritter really needs to do to make the Falcons offense, like notably more functional is actually connect on one to two more deep shots in the game. Not guaranteed that he does. But it's just saying it's not like he has to walk in and take like, what Kenny Pickett walked into where it's like, yeah, throw the ball 35 times a game. We're going to be in the spread, like pick your matchups, like distribute underneath, like Ritter's menu. His responsibilities are going to be really quite small and because Ritter was like accuracy is fine, but not great. Also, like is isn't going to be put too much stress on. It's like this offense is built to minimize the role of the quarterback already. It's what it was doing for Mariota. So. It's reasonable to expect Ritter steps in and just by hitting his targets downfield improves the offense. The Falcons still have a litany of other problems to deal with, but it, it it's it's always a lot to expect a first game rookie bump. But in this specific context, I do think it's it's possible it is viable.
2: I, I would say, I I feel like this switch is not unlike the switch that Arthur Smith made in Tennessee when he switched from Mariota to Ryan Tannehill. I think Tannehill is a
3: Tannehill was a common like stylistic comp yeah. for how doesn't Ritter played, yeah. Right, so I think he could take
2: advantage of the play-action designs in ways that Mariota never could, but then you have to like factor in that he is a rookie and we don't know what he's going to look like. We don't know how he's picking up the playbook. We don't know how he's going to do like the pre-snap operation and how that's going to affect things. But I'm, I'm just mad at, at Solak. For, there's like obvious headlines you could have gone with. Just like Desmond Ritter shows up is good enough.
3: I don't go for singles on my headlines, Steven. I go for home runs or I strike out, okay? We're not doing no Desmond Ritter shows up. We're doing child-related <laughs> jokes.
2: You whiffed, fell to the ground, tore your ACL, and you're out for the season now.
3: What's
0: what stadium are you going for home runs in? Do you think this is like a hundred and fifty foot outfield?
3: Which uh, is, this is like. Oh, right. This is. I learned that this year that baseball stadiums don't have like standard distances and depths because I was you learned that this year. <laughs> I actively attempt not to watch baseball. It's one of the most important things that I do in my life. Is to avoid major league yes. baseball games. Then the Phillies made the play the World Series this year, and I had to like pr- pretend to care. What, what was um, but, that
0: moment like where you're like, why is that stadium shaped like that? You were well, like, I went, I, I went
3: to I went to follow the like, would ding account? Cause a bunch of people were following it. I was like, oh, this seems like fun and cute. And then it would be like, yeah, like this would be a home run in 14 of 30 MLB stadiums. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, how Had could you it never not-
2: heard of Fenway park?
3: and right so i'll be honest i didn't really i i'd heard like the red monster or whatever it's called green Green, monster monster. (laughs) (laughs) i had heard it
2: like okay the green monster the red monster is carson wentz
3: (laughs) the red monster is the western kentucky mascot just the big red creature so i heard of the green monster and i was always like oh i guess like maybe i don't know just like a lot of people nearly home run in Fenway Park because of happenstance which i understand in hindsight is not a very interrogative thought it's not really critical thinking but yeah i find that stunning <laughs> that, 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 like imagine football did that it is dumb. Like imagine if well, the Bills dumb. field, which is 103 yards long. Like that's just we, ridiculous. We were literally just
0: talking about that on the fantasy football show this week, and like Roger Sherman's long wanted teams to get to pick their goalposts, but we were just like, imagine if like someone the Astros in baseball, so like the Astros, they used to have a random hill in the middle of their mm-hmm. center field. It's like, can you imagine if the Dolphins? were, what? Like, there was you know a what? pole on but, it too. Yeah. So wait, wait, wait the
3: Dolphins just the, like the center fielder like tracking middle. a ball in the air and like generally guess when the slope
2: was gonna go. <laughs> Listen to this. Back in like yes. the, back in like the sixties or the fifties, like the the Yankees, I I believe I might be wrong, had like monuments like like yeah, on art. the
3: field. <laughs> yeah, in
0: they did. It's safe. It's it's safe. is how you know baseball blacks. isn't a
3: real sport. There's right. like garden statues out in the field, man. This is at best of yard game.
2: <laughs> it's like 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 the Cleveland Browns, like their little like, little elf ma- mascot. Like imagine if they were like, yeah, we actually have that elf. And he <laughs> right runs around on the, the field. 50. You just gotta yeah. deal. You right. gotta
3: deal with. I it. mean, like quite recently like in my living memory the raiders were playing on the field that randomly became dirt and grass but at least like geometrically was that the it was first standard tip
0: off to you that they're not like all the same
3: yeah i should have well, i mean like i was like 10 at the time so i wasn't really like dialed in but this is this is unbelievable so they were doing it like three years ago if i built a baseball stadium like if i if i like owned a baseball team i want to redo stadium are there parameters that I would have to follow? Like you? Yeah, have there to, are minimums yeah. and there are
2: minimums. Right. In like, but
3: I could yeah. decide to like build as wonky of a field as possible. I guess I have to play more home games there than anybody else does. So build as advantage advantageous of a field as possible, the easiest field to hit home runs on, and then I get to play half of my games there, and nobody else does. But the other team can to think play the, there yeah, too. That's. You
2: that's, think they, yeah, have they haven't thought of this?
3: I just I'm the, I, I'm not saying they haven't thought of this. I'm saying like how is that allowed? That's incredible. I would be redoing my it's stadium incessantly, <laughs> figuring out the best way to make sure home runs are hit. <laughs>
2: You know how they have like the retractable roofs? He would have like walls that change mid-flight of the the ball. Yeah. <laughs> it moves up. I have a,
3: a wind tunnel behind the, the 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 batter's box behind home plate that I have the remote control of. Baby, we're we're cheating. We're full cheating in baseball. Isn't that what they do? All right.
0: Um. Now that we've had like an entire discourse about baseball, can we go back to football and talk
3: about MVP? Yes. Uh, how did we get on so this again?
0: I, I actually couldn't
2: tell you. I
3: I don't even know. Ritter Falcons Saints. Who knows? Somehow. It was it was
2: you saying that you go for home runs.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah this
0: yeah, the way. Meanwhile, so many people are yelling the answer at us listening to this podcast. But if you're listening to a podcast and you know the answer that the host don't know, it's the closest you get to being a ghost. So they're just basically ghosts. Anyway, MVP talk. Uh, looking at this right now on FanDuel Sportsbook, Jalen Hurts is actually the, the favorite right now. He's minus 160. So it's like Hurts, Patrick Mahomes too. And that's really it. Like, Joe, it goes from, like, Mahomes is two to one, and Burrow's, like, ten to one. So, that's clearly like Hurts and Mahomes are top tier, and, like, Joe Burrow and Josh Allen are, like, the next tier, and, like, that's kind of it. And I am very curious. So, like, you're an Eagles fan. Steven, you do a quarterback rankings for QB rankings, Ringer.com, which is excellent. You've been team Mahomes for MVP the whole season, and then it kind of shifted to Hurts this week, and you're like, nah. Is that correct?
2: Yes. I thought Hurts Why? Time.
0: So you're Micah Parsons being like system and team,
2: yeah. That like that's the easiest explanation. The most valuable player in the NFL this season has been Patrick Mahomes, and I don't think it's even close. I can't even. The only person that I could think that has added more value to his team, honestly, is a person that's not going to win the award and is not even in the running. Actually, there are two: Lamar Jackson and Justin Herbert, two players that have kept their offenses viable. I don't. It here's my argument. Take Mahomes out of that offense and replace him with a league average quarterback. What does that offense look like? Even with Andy Reid coaching, I don't think it's, I think it's outside of the top 10 at the very least. Now take an average quarterback and put it in the Eagles offense. What does it look like? I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like Jalen Hurts' season because that's what he is. But wow. Okay. See, okay. But, no, I, I actually think he's above average. I think he's the 10th best quarterback in the league. But I think if you put the 10th best quarterback in the league behind the best offensive line and gave him an elite wide receiver duo and a very good offensive coordinator, I think you tend to get top-of-the-league results,
3: and that's what we're seeing. Yeah, there's a this stylistic aspect of this argument is really important because most valuable player doesn't really mean most valuable player. It means quarterback who's done the most impressive things, right? That's just kind of like, you know who this season at quarterback is like way better than we thought they'd be, right? And like, okay, that guy gets the award and we call it most valuable player. The title though, most valuable player, has led to a emphasis on the stylistic nature of Hurts and the Eagles offense as a case, as evidence for him being valuable. Namely that the Eagles... Offense is predicated on Hertz running ability, right? They, so much of what the Eagles call in terms of their RPO games and their read option game is because Hertz can run the football, and that's the building blocks of this offense, right? Their 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 passing game is so much like, oh, we're gonna say, you know fake this RPO and then hit a wheel and they hit a screen, and they've done more mature dropback stuff over the last few weeks, and certainly that's led to like Hertz putting up better numbers and an improved case for MVP. But if we just took this conversation, like it's December 15th, if we we took this conversation to November 15th right now, the entire Eagles offense would be like RPOs, screens, like very basic West Coast ideas and like a ton of running. And the only way an offense like that works is if the quarterback is a really good ball carrier. The only way you can be that simple and do that many of college things if you're incorporating your quarterback in the running game. And so there's a interpretation of that. That's like, oh, well, the Eagles offense is so good because it's designed this way. And it can only be designed this way because Jalen Hurts is such a good runner ergo jalen hurts is the most is the most valuable player because without him is that the argument or is the argument just he's been great it's a big part of the argument because he certainly has been great but it's not like he's putting up better passing numbers than mahomes he doesn't put up better running numbers than fields like it's like all right there's like a a a dual nature to it where he does both but like josh allen's more effective as a passer and basically as effective as a runner and so like you know he's he's producing very well and that's one of the reasons he's in the conversation um but the the integral nature like the, the fact that he's a keystone to the offensive structure has been cited as like that makes him a very valuable player
0: well to be fair i, I think the argument statistic of the argument is with uh 20 I, I saw this last week i apologize this might have been bill barnwell but 22 passing touchdowns 10 rushing touchdowns for hertz only three picks nothing like that has ever been done like the only people with that kind of passing and rushing stuff have thrown like four times as many receptions as him and it's just like he's scoring at this level while Walt- like a like a new age rushing passer combo while throwing, turning the ball over like he's twenty eleven Aaron Rodgers.
2: Cam Newton did that in twenty fifteen with Ted Ginn as as his number one receiver in a terrible and he and a bad offensive of line. Yeah, but he did that without the supporting cast. I, I'm not. I actually agree with you about Mahomes. I'm just saying that with when it comes to hurts, it's, I feel like it's not just like. It's, well, what Ben's getting at though is like, you could say the same thing about Daniel Jones. Like he's keeping that offense viable because yes. he's a running quarterback and look at his supporting cast. He, he has the worst offensive line in the NFL. Like if you look up like pressure numbers on anything, it's, it's, mm-hmm. I don't even know how they score any points.
3: Yeah. And if you, and if you, if look you at put respect. a quarterback same. with, if you put a quarterback without much running ability, like, you know, take a, take like a, uh, like a Herbert, like Herbert's like kind of scrambles and he's 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 a good scrambler when he goes, but he just doesn't really scramble that much. Or just take like a tier two quarterback. Like Burrow's been scrambling more recently, but I'd grab a Joe Burrow, grab a Dak Prescott. Uh, I don't think the Eagles' offense would be as good because I think that Hurts is his running ability matters tremendously. But I think the passing offense would remain extremely effective. You say Oh, Hurts like twenty two passing touchdowns, three interceptions. Like, interception numbers and touchdown numbers tend to be, like, are, like noisy, but in terms of, like, their EPA for dropback, I would expect the passing offense to be the same because the offensive line is so good and the receiving core is so good and the, and the offensive coordinator is so good. And that's where you you run into issues where quarterback contribution to offensive performance across the league is generally overstated. Like, we all agree QB wins are not a thing, and then... When a team wins a lot of games and the offense is really good, we're like, wow, the quarterback's the MVP. (laughs) You know, we're kind of like you're just doing a cumulative QB wins. You know what I'm saying? You're just kind of doing QB wins on top of QB wins. The only team in the league for whom I think like quarterback wins are not overstated or quarterback's contributions to wins are not overstated is in Kansas City. And so that puts us in a spot where like reasonably, so long as he keeps doing this, Mahomes should probably just win MVP every year. But that's never going to happen. Voters don't want that. So in a year in which there's a really viable second candidate like Hurts, Hurts gets a ton of run. It makes sense. I totally get it. It's just that's the reality of like just how much better Mahomes is than the the field in any given year. Whether it's Hurts is the second, Lamar is the second, Herbert is the second, whoever you want is the second. Mahomes is usually a tear unto himself. So if the
0: season ended tomorrow and you guys had votes... Would you vote for Mahomes or Hurts? So, like, you'd vote for Mahomes. You both vote for Mahomes? Yeah. So, it's
3: ranked choice this year. Remember, they that's it's new, right? They're not just you, you don't got to do the whole just pick one thing. So, I would have Mahomes one, but I do think that Hurts is a very legitimate argument for two. I think that Burrow absolutely deserves to be a like a, you know, top 3, top 4 okay, but MVP won? as well. But Mah- who's one? Mahomes. His Mahomes. Okay.
2: Yeah. Now, my question is, uh, we've talked about like what Jalen Hurts done in this offense and what he brings to it. He's not the only mobile quarterback. And I think we would all agree, at least in this podcast, that he's not the best mobile quarterback either. If you drop Lamar Jackson into that offense with the way he was playing this year before he got hurt, how many points are the Eagles averaging right now? What does that offense look like? You could say that's like a hypothetical, but that's the that's what we do. We're anal- we're analysts. We're supposed to do that. My
0: real question is that I don't think it's even Lamar. I think the question is, ironically, I think this conversation has a lot to do with actually the 2017 Eagles where Wentz was like the pseudo MVP favorite. He got hurt. He went to the Super Bowl. And I'm kind of like, if God forbid, if Jalen Hurts got hurt, it's not insane to think the Gardner Minshew Eagles could still win the NFC. Whereas kid, Patrick Mahomes got hurt. I don't think anybody would pick the Chiefs to win to the AFC. Yeah. Even when a game the in the playoffs.
3: Conferences. Yeah. Um, but even then, like, yeah, replacement value of quarterbacks is always tricky because like the first thing I think of Steven, when you say Lamar in the offense, as opposed to Hurts, I go, okay, well, Lamar probably doesn't have as many rushing touchdowns because they don't use, they, they use Jalen Hurts like a battering ram. And you probably aren't doing that with Lamar just because of his build. And so now it's like, okay, well, do rushing touchdowns define an MVP season? No. But at the same time, the stat Danny brought up, like Hurts is, is accounting for, like Hertz has had two 10 rushing touchdowns each of the last two seasons. He's the first quarterback in league history to do that. Like that's very impressive, but also it's just just stylistically like what his build is as a runner. Does that like, how do you gauge that against how good Lamar is as a runner when you wouldn't really use him as much in short yardage, but short yardage is so valuable, so on and so forth. Like that's where like styles make fights and the, the replacement value of guys becomes tricky to talk about.
0: Yeah, I just think it's like the Eagles have a top five receiving core and a top one offensive line. And it's like, yeah, it's not insulting to say the quarterback's the second most valuable yeah. player in football. Yeah, you know, I and think we're-
3: Mahomes won, won. When Mahomes won MVP, he had Ty- Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. It's not an yeah. exclusionary thing to have a really good receiving core and then be like, all right, well, now you can't win MVP. It's just like, hey, like this year, Jalen Hurts has been incredible. He's been better than anybody ever thought he would be. He's been unbelievably improved. He's a huge part of the reason why the Eagles are 12 and 1, he's a huge part of the reason why their offense is good and Patrick Mahomes is probably the MVP. You're allowed to be very, very good at football and also not win the award.
2: You know what I
0: think the lesson here is? Football teams, they're like baseball fields. They're not all the same.
1: Each one's different built differently. <laughs> for some reason. You
0: know. Different st- <laughs>
3: you know just, I'm not you know? the idiot for thinking fields should be the same.
2: I. <laughs> no one's saying that, but the fact that it, <laughs> went, it went over your head for so long in your life, it... I'm not going to call you I, an idiot, the, the, but it's the, the movie you're paying attention to.
3: The you said it, The first me. full baseball game I watched in my life, Major League Baseball, was this year, Phillies, Astros, in the World Series. The Chicago Cubs won the World Series for the first time. in. Our, it was like 400 years or something. How long has America been alive? They won it when I lived in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I was doing homework. All
0: right. We're getting out of here. Thank you, like. Thank you, Steven. Thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you to like the baseball fans who are incredibly insulting. Thank you to Isaiah and Eduardo for production help. It's the Ringer NFL TV show. We'll see you guys next week.